It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Monday Madness. I'm Nathan Baird with Cleveland.com along with Degley Maurice on the road from the Chicago Bureau, the Evanston Bureau, checking in on week six of the college football season and what's coming up next for Ohio State by week this week. And then it's sort of interesting how this has worked out this year, right? Like six weeks, and especially the way Ohio State season has gone. Mm. Tumultuous start, smoothing things out, break, and then six more weeks after that. It's been a, it's a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Where everything just like, the shape is like perfect. Uh, I'm not familiar with things whose shapes are perfect because <laughs> I'm a 48-year-old doughy man. So I don't enough. know that word. <laughs> um, as you guys know, who listen to us each week, Monday Madness is kind of the structure. We spent the first se- – we'll spend the first segment of this going over the game again, Ohio State 66-17 victory over Maryland. And then we have some categories that sort of look ahead and wrap up what's going on in the Big Ten, what's going on in college football in the second and third segments of this. But uh, like I said, Ohio State 66-17, to a bit of a laugher on homecoming. I've been rewatching the game a little bit today, Doug. I know you rewatched the game a little bit today. This is, of all of the games, there was like the least intrigue out of rewatching this in some ways. Like, you didn't have to scrutinize C.J. Stroud quite the same way. The, I didn't feel like the, there was a lot of scrutinizing of the defense that went into this, which is, I think, progress for this team in some ways, that you're starting to come away with uh, – you're starting to believe your eyes a little bit more with this team. Yeah, no, they were almost like showing off a little bit on Saturday. It was a more like bit. a look at who we are now, which is an interesting contrast to what happened throughout the rest of the country on Saturday because yep. the – the craziness that Ohio state went through in week two, multiple teams that they are competing for, for a playoff spot are just entering their crazy period right now. And so it is, I I would think Ohio state fans, and that's why this is interesting. We have a lot to talk about. I think not related to Ohio state because stuff changed since we did the post game podcast, mostly Alabama loss. So there are things, the context around, Ohio State has changed and that affects how you view Ohio State. And if you looked at Ohio State after week two and thought, oh man, 
what's going on with them. But look at all these other teams look so much better. And now you look and you think, man, Ohio State kind of has some stuff figured out compared to where a lot of other teams are right now. I think Ohio State should have some confidence about itself right now, just where it is as a, as a team. Because I think you're right. Like this, they were really walking on thin ice there early this season. It was like, it was like a, a baby deer on ice skates. Like they just didn't know what they were doing early on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. This was not a team that was sure of itself. Didn't have a lot of self-confidence out there on the, on the field. And now I think you're starting to see in all phases, including the, the way CJ Stroud's playing and the way the whole offense has come together. This does seem there is a togetherness here. I think that it's that, that, that uh, nebulous identity that everyone wants to talk about. I think they're starting to get a concept of what their identity is on both sides of the ball. I do. And it's not, it's, it's, and it's the sort of the multitude, especially offensively, it's the multitude of weapons that clearly they've had. And the quarterback is clearly in a position where he knows how to use them where Ryan Day said the best thing C.J. Stroud does is see the field. He is getting the ball to the right people. He is making the right reads. They are putting defenses in a bind constantly. And I think when you look up, and Iowa's number two, right? Is Iowa number two? Correct. In a world where the Iowa Hawkeyes, this is going to sound like slander against Iowa. Listen, half my, my whole wife's, wife's whole family is from Iowa. My in-laws are Iowa season ticket holders. This is not an affront to the good people of Iowa. If I was number two, Ohio State's got to feel pretty good about itself. That's all I'm going to say. Because Iowa is number two a very specific way. And good on them for doing it that way. But I think Ohio State has to like its chances of trying to hang with that it's just different than a world where, like, oh, who's number two? It's like uh, Clemson, like with Deshaun Watson and nine first-round picks on the defense. It's like, cool. So that's just where we are. Listen, the stuff that everybody thought was going to happen in a world where a bunch of teams in the tier below the top tier, of them, they have super seniors, they have some interesting experience. Meanwhile, the very best teams in the country – are breaking in young quarterbacks and there's some uncertainty there and they all lost a bunch of people. All that happened. Like, like we were all right. Now it depends how you thought things would land, but that general storyline, which I think was everybody's storyline coming into the season when Mac Jones, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence go to the NFL and all a bunch, you know, you have all of these six year guys for some schools coming back because of COVID that was all exactly why we are at this point halfway through the year. And so any uncertainty that Ohio State has felt just makes them pretty much like everybody else in the country. The number one team in the country is playing Stetson Barnett at quarterback right now. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe we got this far in without – and you even said his name now with, with no impression. Um, but Listen, I'm I just got to be careful. I host the national show now, and I can't be as much oh. of a jackhole on the national oh, show. Oh, yeah. But uh, this is the buck. This is still Buckeye talk. So I, I can't believe that I'm the number one quarterback for the number one team in the country. The hedge fund can wait because I am here, and I am here. 
Wait, what's the thing from the, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Uh-uh. I'm not leaving. I'm not stinking leaving. Right? That's the thing that Leonardo DiCaprio... That's if Justin Barnett was the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio guy in Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody cheers. Yeah. Jordan People Balfour. Says the um, F word, though. Setson Barnett would not say the F word in that situation. Oh, no, I'm sure he's a, a good Christian boy. Um, I'm really looking forward to the second half of this season. Just as like, these last two years, uh, you're kind of alluding to this. You know, there's that super team has been out there, whether it's LSU, whether it's Alabama. And it was like, my God, can like who can possibly beat these teams? And it was sort of like almost, it felt like them against the world. And this year, I don't feel like Georgia has quite ascended, even though they're unanimous number one now this week. I don't feel like they're. I don't look at them that same way, partially because they don't have the offense that's at that same like overpowering offense. And it, it just feels like a bit of a free-for-all after that. Um, and instead of like, you know, because it felt like these last couple of years, it was like, well, who's going to be like the fourth team that limps in? And now it's like, well, everybody's kind of limping in and it's maybe going to be a fun couple games there in, uh, in December, January. I don't, I mean, like people can't name a bunch of Georgia guys right now right it's like who's george's best player it's like a lot of people wouldn't know the answer to that so they're still going to get better their offensive guys are going to get healthier they're still going to get better they're not as good as they're going to be and they'll get jt daniels back and, and they'll do a lot of things but kirby smart does not engender the same type type of confidence that nick saban or Dabo sweeney of recent era in terms of like winning the game when you need to win the game right so there's going to be I think some reticence with Georgia, which or Georgia has earned that reticence because they always have great players and they've never done it before. But I do think they are legit, but it's wide open after them. I mean, clearly it's wide open after them. And, and when we did the podcast, we led the postgame pod with is Ohio State the third best team in the country. And like two hours later, it was like, is Ohio State the second best team in the country? <laughs> so, you know, don't give up on Bama. Bama is still going to win its division and get to the title game, I think, against Georgia. Because the rest of, of, you know, Texas A&M already has two losses. Every, you know, people, Alabama has this tiebreaker over everybody. But they've lost their wiggle room. And if they lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, they're not going to get in as a two-loss team, I don't think. And now all of a sudden, before the season, I picked both Clemson and Alabama to miss the playoff. And if, I hadn't, if I hadn't inserted Iowa State in <laughs> – as yeah. one of the teams filling the gap, I, I could claim that even more smartly. But they're not perfect, you know? I mean, just for Alabama to be in a situation where it, like, needs to drive at the end of the game, it goes three and out at a critical situation because it's not Devontae Smith and Najee Harris and Mac Jones. It's not. They're good, but they're not that, which makes them a little more human, and that just opens the door. When Alabama's human, take away everything else. When Alabama's human – everything's on the table because well, 2019 when, too, when they didn't make when, the playoff yeah. when Alabama's a monster and even like 2014, when it's like, well, Alabama's the one seed, but they're playing a linebacker at quarterback. Like that's yeah. not quite. And Derrick Henry's like the backup running back. He's not real, right. All this yeah. are like when they're caught in between a little bit, you know, the, wait till Bryce Young's in year three, right? I don't know if anybody, you don't want to mess with those guys. Now, of course that'll be 2023 Ohio state, the greatest college football team of all time. So the Buckeyes should be fine. But right. I mean, the, when they're, human then something can happen when bama is at its best it's just almost like well what is everybody playing for second and and some people thought maybe that was the case this year even with a, a first year quarterback well they've got you know their defense is is 
better and and Mechie and and Jamison Williams are still really good and Brian Robinson's good and they, whatever. And it turns out they are human and that's interesting. Yeah, and I didn't go back to Georgia. I didn't certainly want to insinuate that I didn't respect them and what they're doing. It just it doesn't feel the same as when it's Nick Saban has this firepower team Agreed. or Joe Burrow was doing what he was doing in 2019. I think that it you're, it doesn't look the same to your brain, but I also agree that I think there is more coming from them. I think they could be pretty special by the end of the season. Let's go back to Ohio State real quick, and we're because we got other categories coming up, where we're going to probably get back to some of these national conversations. You've gone through each week and sort of charted C.J. Stroud along the way. I know you didn't quite go that in depth this time, but you have been. Um, you and I both were had had a certain skepticism two or three weeks into this season that is sort of being. Uh, ground out of us by the way that cj stroud is playing i just want to say his national numbers right now i gotta find it real quick i just wrote about this today uh in my uh in in madness that's gonna uh, go from monday morning cj stroud right now third in the nation in efficiency rating quarterback efficiency rating 191 15 i think the coastal carolina guy is ahead of him and uh i don't remember who the other one is but but third in the nation um second in yards per attempt at 10.8 and then fifth in touchdown passes in 18 and certainly nobody in the big 10 is anywhere close to him uh, one of the things i did uh for the madness column was go back to the preseason uh cleveland.com poll and see how that looks at midseason looks pretty terrible and uh two people Good though shot. did pick two people did pick cj stroud as the big 10 preseason offensive player of the year and i think he's got to be the front runner right now i'm sure one of them was steven Stephen was one of them, yes. Yeah. I'm trying – well, right. No, I think he would be the – I, I agree with that. He would be the front runner. Tyler Goodson, the Iowa running back, might have a case, but his numbers aren't staggering. He's just kind of the engine that makes that offense go, but they're a defense first team. Jahan Dotson probably has a case for Penn State. Kenneth Walker the third at Michigan State would have a case. Trayvon Henderson might have a case. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson might have a case. But – People lean quarterback, and he sure as heck is playing like the – I mean, he's the best quarterback in the conference right now, and it's not – I mean, it's – I don't even – it's not even close. Who's number two? I don't even know who number two is. I mean, if you go by the efficiency rating right now, it is um, Peyton Thorne for Michigan State. I, don't, I literally don't know who that is. Exactly. Peyton Thorne, is, is, that a, is that someone on a Disney show? Is that, that's a person you on a Disney show. You would know more than me. No, I, I actually think – I think they're on a – they might be on a show where they have a pet gopher on a cruise That's your ship? life. That's your life. I can't – You have a – you have a, a – it's a guinea pig <laughs> on, a, on a Disney cruise. That's your life. Because also Peyton is one of those names that uh, – neutral gender name. So I do think mm-hmm. – there was an actress named Bella Thorne who I'm thinking of. She was on a show with Zendaya before Zendaya got super famous. Um, they were kind of like hot shots in high school. So that's who I think that is. I get Peyton Thorne and Bella Thorne confused. I'm sure he's a great quarterback. I just don't know who he is. Is he a transfer? Or no, he's uh, not a transfer. No. A mission, see, seriously, Buckeye talk. I don't know who that is, Buckeye talk. Hey, they're, uh, you're going to have to talk about him on the college football playoff show at some point, oh. aren't you? I, we are holding off on adding Michigan State to that list until Michigan State beats one of the best 70 teams in the country. Uh, uh, Peyton Thorne was the number uh, – he was in the, uh, the class of 2019. Okay. Do you want to guess where he was ranked in the class of 2019? 623. 
lower. 1,623. Okay. In the middle, you're triangulating. 1096. Okay. I'm sure he's playing prospect. great. Yep. I'm sure he's playing great. That's great for him. But that's not why they're winning, right? They're winning because no. they're playing smart football and they have a running back who's running people over. Correct. CJ Stroud right now on pace, and this is a, a, a tricky word because you just played uh, some bad teams, although he didn't get to play against Akron. On pace right now, 3,378 yards, 40 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I think that's going to be tough to beat. These running backs, I don't think that's, uh, that's going to be tough to beat. No, no, especially – if Ohio State wins the Big Ten, yeah, and I think the thing the, the, when I the thing I wrote was I kind of did my, you know, here's what we predicted, here's what we went wrong, and here's what I'm predicting now, and I I'm picking Stroud to end up being the the offensive player of the year. But the caveat that I put there is, if they really turn Trevion Henderson loose, I think that's when things could get fun, like if he really if he starts running for 180 yards a game over these last six games. Yeah, it's just it's just so hard. For Wilson and Olave. Wilson's averaging 91 receiving yards per game. Olave's averaging 82.3. That's just, Wilson. yeah, the, the numbers, they're talking, the numbers aren't going to be there. And Olave was the preseason pick. And it's one of, like, he's a better football player than CJ Stroud is just because he's. He's just older. He's older a, he's and formed. has done it he's, forever. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's not a shot at CJ Stroud, but it's just, it's hard to get away from the quarterback. And again, if you had only one receiver, then, you know, Jahan Dotson is, is averaging the exact same number of uh, yards per game as Chris Olave. They each have 494 receiving yards in six games. Uh, but Jahan Dotson is kind of like the only option at Penn State, and Chris Olave does, isn't even leading his own team in receiving yards. So um, it's tough. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, like, again, you have to think beyond yourself and – I'm not sure that it's a great argument to be like, well, they have two receivers, so I'm automatically voting for neither of them. I think perhaps yeah. all of us can go a, a slight step further in our analysis, but I'm also not expecting anyone to. So yeah. they split the vote and give it to the quarterback. Who might deserve it? I think what's tough is we would know, we meaning people who watch every snap of every Ohio State game, sometimes multiple times, would know how many of C.J. Stroud's yards came from a play that Garrett Wilson – or Chris Olave, or Jackson Smith and Jigba, or Trey Van Henderson made, but the average person that's going to be voting for these things wouldn't know that necessarily. Right, and that applies just, to everything that happens yep, with everybody yep, else that we yep, don't know. We're like yep. Dante Demas; he's awesome, and we're like, I don't know how many of his catches have you actually seen? Out two. So, right. as you rewatch the game, anything that jumped out at you about Stroud from this performance? So this is the this is the thing that I just keyed on because I was watching a couple of their big plays, a couple of the big scoring plays. There was a play where I think they, sp I think they had four wide, like the three receivers, I think they had Ruckert split out wide. So that resulted in a light box. I think it might've been a six man box because maybe it was only three wide. No, I think it was only three wide, but they had, they were spread out enough that they had the three corners on the three receivers and two deep safeties. Right. So that's uh, five guys. That's five DBs. And then you have six guys in the box. So they spread them out. And then they handed the ball to Trevor Henderson and ran for a touchdown. And I was like, yeah. okay, well, that they couldn't stop that. Then they had two tight ends in the game. I think it was maybe just Wilson and Olave. 
they had eight guys in the box, and they ran a route where Chris Olave, as Ohio State receivers are wont to do, beat the corner off the line in half a second. There was no safety help, and C.J. Stroud threw a touchdown pass. And so that is where defenses are with them. If you put five DBs in the game and try to give safety help, they're going to run. And then you can't stop Trayvon Henderson. If you try to stack the box and you don't have any safety help, then they're going to throw down the field and these receivers are going to beat corners one-on-one. And that's, it's, they're going to show run looks and throw. They're going to show pass looks and run. They are going to do it game after game. Series after series, down after down, and I do not know what opposing defenses are going to do about it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying not to get hyperbolic about this, um, the way we talk about this team. I feel like it was verging on that a little bit after the game the other night because of what we've seen over the last three weeks. But I'm, I agree with you. Like, I, I, like, imagine just being the secondary coach of a mid-level or lower Big Ten team and you see Ohio State come out with like 12 personnel on first down. And I'm thinking, well, I'm probably about to get scorched here. Because like it, Ohio State can just, can just do what it wants on that play. You can, and um, you know you're not going to get to the quarterback because of that extra protection. And you know that of the t- cornerbacks and the safety that you have in the game, what are the chances they're going to stop both Wilson and Olave? Somebody's open for something big on that play, probably. Right. And that's going to happen multiple times a game. So I'm, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by Michigan. I'm intrigued by Penn State still. I'm intrigued by especially Iowa from a defensive standpoint. Like, can they put athletes on the field from a defensive standpoint that start to negate the kind of unfairness of it all that it seems like sometimes with Ohio State? But I still just don't know if any of those teams can score enough. Yeah, no, I think, I, think, I think Penn State's corners have a chance to make it harder. Where it's like, okay, well, we're going to try to keep try to keep an extra guy in the box and we'll leave Tariq Castro-Fields and Joey Porter a little bit on islands. And we have – listen, they have, and they have two great safeties. We're going to play. We're going to man up. We're going to let our safeties help. And we're not going to – you know, we're going to have our linebackers tackle. Listen, Noah Sewell, again, Noah Sewell, the Oregon linebacker, had a great game. You know, one or two great linebackers can make a difference. And all of a sudden – when you are handing it to the running back, he's not automatically just getting to the second level and making 20 yard runs time after time. So I think that's real. I mean, Iowa clearly has a great scheme. I mean, what a great matchup that would be if that's what we get in Indy. It would be they, because they're going to do some things regardless of the receivers, they're going to do some things to try to get after CJ Stroud to try to confuse CJ Stroud. They just force quarterbacks into turnovers into bad throws into thinking something's there they you know they they make plays on the ball that's going to be real for cj stroud regardless of how good the receivers are so to your point again i agree let's not go crazy but i just when you watch it right i almost would advise the people listening when you see ohio state put an extra tight end tight end in the game like expect them to throw and when you see them spread guys out expect them to run because that's and it's Right, Alabama last year was all about RPOs. That in the moment, Mac Jones is making decisions after the ball is snapped. Is it a run? Is it a throw? Both are dangerous. It's Najee Harris or it's Devontae Smith. You can't stop either of them, right? Yeah. So what do you call it when it's an RPO, not during the play, but before the play? I guess you just call that play calling. 
right? But it's <laughs> it's terrible. like when that's just it's just literally the whole thing. But when you think they look like they're going to do something, they're probably going to do the other thing. But they are equally as good at both. Now they are. They weren't before. That's the thing. That is the thing, Nathan. My gosh. They weren't before. When they lost, they weren't as good at running it as they were at throwing it. And now they're equally good at both. Absolutely. And it's. It, and I think the other thing that is affecting how we're talking about this is because I think we – go back to um, June or February, this is how we expected to be talking about this offense, right? Yeah. Like, man, this offensive line. And, man, look at Trevor Henderson. He is what we thought he was going to be and maybe a little bit more, maybe faster than what we thought he was going to get there. And then, holy cow, these receivers. And, really, Jackson Smith the Jigba is taking the step everybody thought. And C.J. Stroud's there. Like, this is exactly how we thought it was going to be. But it wasn't that way the first few weeks. We weren't right. talking about this offense that way, and now we're kind of catching up to it. On the other side of the ball, I, I, I always forget who the, uh, the, the play-by-play and color guys are. So I don't remember who was doing it yesterday. But uh, the color guy mentioned as the game was getting started, the Maryland offensive tackles, uh, Jalen Duncan, and I think it's Spencer Anderson is the other one. Guys, he's like, oh, I think these guys are both going to play in the NFL someday. And I thought this was by far the best game for the Ohio State defensive ends. I thought okay. Javante Jean-Baptiste. And Zach Harrison both were doing a good job beating their guides. Jack Sawyer did it on a few occasions, like beating these guys and, and getting in the backfield. And even if, again, it wasn't turning into a sack necessarily every time, but I thought this was the most active that I remember seeing kind of that whole defensive end group being. And that's just right. I mean, it's Larry Johnson getting back down to business and some play calling that maybe allows those guys to, to get free a little bit more. And that was, of all the things that confused us, I think early in the season, right, if they were having some issues in the secondary, we weren't confused by that. It was like, okay, maybe we saw that coming. We if thought they, the secondary was going to be an issue. Yeah. And if they weren't, you know, before Trayvon Henderson was playing, if they didn't have game breakers at running back, it's like, well, we didn't think those guys. We didn't think Mayan Williams and Master Teague were game breakers. We thought they were good ten, big 10 backs, but not extraordinary. But the idea that this defensive line was not getting pressure was, I think, the number one thing that we're like, man, that's not what we thought. We thought it was the area of the team that we thought would be better than it was playing. And so now they are playing more like we thought they would be playing early. And it didn't require a huge change of personnel, although the two freshman ends certainly are making an impact. But it's just them kind of finding their footing, maybe some, you know, some line calls that are allowing them to – do some things, but then just they're just playing better. And the result is quarterbacks look a lot less comfortable. Yeah, I think anyone who would have said early on that Ohio State needed to blitz more uh, was, was probably right, that you can't rely on a four-man rush alone. However, I think for also if you're saying that Ohio State needed to be more – needed to be less static, needed to be more unpredictable, needed to disguise things better, then the four-man rush – did have to be better because that sort of opens the door for that a little bit. And you see it a lot. How many times in this game was um, somebody creeping up and showing blitz and then backing off? I mean, Steel Chambers did it several times. It's, it's just, it's part of it. It's part of that kind of push pull that the defense is doing. And I think the more that those ends get active and start beating their guys and the more penetration they are getting from that front four. Um, and hopefully Haskell Garrett is healthy um, coming out of the bye week for Ohio State's sake. And it looked like they're on the verge of getting Tyreek Smith back. When you get that whole unit intact, then it's, it's potentially another step in the evolution for this defense. 
Um, and just one, a couple of the things that jumped at me, Marcus Williamson played really well, I thought. Like, for a guy that we – when he was, like, not involved early on, remember how we were all kind of like, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, Lathan Ransom's playing. I mean, that's that's what's supposed to happen, right? And then right. I think – I really thought he played really well. It seems like he is a guy that has flipped the switch a little bit, uh, just made some really smart plays. It's the kind of thing that – man, it always – I hate this because it sounds like we're always, like, damning with faint praise. I mean, it'll, it shows up really well against Maryland, um, and maybe it's something that he can build on and it'll show up later against uh, another opponent too. Oh, anything else that jumped out at you looking back? No, I didn't, I didn't rewatch a ton of the defense because it okay. just felt like they were kind of in control most were, of the game. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was interesting that the Maryland came out and did a lot of RPO stuff and that was how they were moving the ball a little bit. I thought it was just a lot of little swings and stuff outside. That was kind of their version of misdirection. I just don't think you can do that for a full game. And then the first time you get thrown off schedule by a, by a blitz or something like that, then, um, then they just didn't really have an answer. They didn't have that second step, I thought. Um, well, they should have scored a touchdown on that first series, though. We, we've seen that a lot over the years with, with offenses that are going to try to do that, with like solid but not great quarterbacks. When you try to do that against Ohio State, it just puts you in a position where you can't have a holding penalty. Yep. You can't have a receiver slip on your second and four pass, right? Or whatever it is, like, you just can't – you just have to stay on schedule. Like, every play, every series, you have so little margin for error. And every now and then you see a team do it. But you saw sort of flashes, I think, with Maryland where you thought, like, oh, yeah, well, if they could just keep doing that, the whole point is, like, well, you can't keep doing that. Like, right. like you can't – if you're not explosive – then you just you can't do that all game because Ohio State's just too talented and it's hard to be perfect um, against a team like that. Yeah, it, it, it's too bad that we didn't get to see Demas. It's too bad that the Maryland's defense didn't have its best players. I think that would have been just uh, it's something that probably benefits Ohio State in the long run even to, to get their best shot. So um, I think that wraps that up. We're going to come back from the break. We are going to talk – about uh, the rest of the Big Ten. We're going to talk about uh, some other things on the national scene. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. We usually start the categories off with the story of the week, uh, but there's no game this week. So I don't know. I guess it, <laughs> the, the, the bye week is kind of almost always about um, if you don't have some kind of crisis going on, I think it's really more just about health. And it's about getting, and I already kind of alluded to it, Tyree Smith, Haskell Garrett, Cam Brown, get those guys back to as close to healthy as you can over these next two weeks. Um, Mayan Williams, I suppose. Uh, it, it still is. They are still interesting. The idea that, I mean, to, just to revisit quickly, like your Marcus Williamson point, he played 49 snaps and Cam Martinez played 17. After we were like, oh, Cam Martinez is one of the keys to unlocking this new version of the defense. They still are very interesting with guys just going from no role to a big role and reversing, you know, other guys reversing that. And it makes me wonder, like, man, I, I thought I kind of liked what Cam Martinez looked like when he burst on the scene. I uh, wonder what, how much he'll play against Indiana and Penn State. Not that Marcus Williamson didn't play well, as you said, but that's not what I expected. I don't know. When they, when they were talking Marcus Williamson up, it was like, oh, what a nice backup he is for Cam Martinez. And it's like, oh, no, he's going to play the fourth most snaps of any defensive player. 
Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, though, like compare this to last year, because now I, I hear that and I think you're right. And I'm like, that probably sets up a pretty interesting competition here for the next two weeks, right? Going into the Indiana game. Whereas last year, we kind of thought there's no competition going on at any of these secondary spots. It's who they've got, and that's it. And it's barely who they've got. Yeah. I mean, as much as – I mean, the defense – Steel Chambers played more snaps than any linebacker, right? Like, is that where we are? I mean, Steel Chambers, like, at the beginning of the year was like, oh, he's a nice little extra thing, or maybe he'll be a third down guy. It's like, oh, no, he played the most snaps. And I know they had a lot of garbage time snaps, but, like, that's, like, might be an indication of, like, how much bigger his role might get. I don't know. Maybe, but I would also say this game was out of control. Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon have both had injury issues this season too. So I would get them off the field as fast as I could as well. If I was Ohio state, yeah. that was probably a little bit of a factor there. That's not a, a, a slam against steel chambers. By the way, I met steel chambers dad before the game on uh, Saturday. And uh, this is a, a, I feel like this is a very almost Doug Lamery's kind of story. I was walking over to the hotel cause I wanted to meet, uh, I want to say hi to Ronnie Hickman's family. I just talked to them and done a story the week before. And I, I, I got a coffee from the press box and I'm thinking the whole time, like, all right, at some point you're going to try to sip this coffee as you're walking over to the hotel. Just don't like dribble it on yourself and have a big mm. coffee stain on your shirt the whole day, which I didn't do. I successfully made it over to the hotel. I'm talking to Ronnie Hickman's dad and we're having a conversation about something. And at some point I do like one of these, like a gesture and I knock the coffee cup out of my own hand and it falls to the ground and just crashes and splashes all over my khakis. So then I had a big khaki uh, coffee stain down the leg of my khaki pants the whole game. That was because you lost me at did not spill the coffee. And I was like, well, this doesn't sound like a Doug Lamery story at all. But oh, it's coming big, back. Big finish. Big finish. Wow. All over the khakis. Yeah. But you, did you spill it on Steel Chambers' dad also or no? I, uh, I was talking to Ronnie Hickman's father, also named okay. Ronnie Hickman. Um, and I did not. No, he was out of the splash zone. Out of the splash zone. But then that's how Steel Chambers' father introduced himself was he came over and said, did you knock that cup out of his hand? And uh, Ronnie's like, no, no, he did that himself. <laughs> so... <laughs> the, I, I also will say Steel Chambers in the postgame on Saturday, like his eye black was kind of like had melted down his face a little bit. He looked like the biggest bad dude that you would want to meet on a football field. I was like, that is steel chambers getting after it. And like, he just, it is good to see a guy who clearly just did not have a role at running back. And he has had a much bigger role at linebacker than I ever expected. And whether it was Marcus Williamson, whether it's a guy like steel chambers, like it is just, it is, great to see guys sort of like work and work and work and work and trying to find a role and then they find it and they help their team and like what else can you ask for it you don't have to be a superstar but Marcus Williamson is helping this team right now and Steel Chambers is helping this team right now you make a good point about hey maybe don't read too much into him having the most linebacker snaps but he has a role he has a role and and he seems he looks pretty good in his role and as we've seen roles change week to week maybe it'll expand. And hey, I was pretty much dismissive of it when we when Absolutely. It was in preseason, right? I was like, why are we even like we were laughing about it. We're like, oh, this is like the storyline that isn't a storyline because just because you're moving from like number 5 in the running back room to like number 7 in the linebacker room that doesn't get you on the field any faster necessarily. He was still going to have a special teams role. 
but it didn't look like there was going to be an impact there. And multiple things have happened, partially some roster attrition, but partially the way he's played that he's proven us wrong. I mean, he's come through well. I th- I, by the way, Steel Chamber's father's name was Eric. And he was mentioning that this was something that when he was being recruited, and I'm trying to think if it, it was Ohio State, and I think it was Rutgers who was also in on him. Um, he said at the time that they had he had asked the coaches then for an evaluation of him at linebacker because I think Steele had his heart set on being a running back, but he got an evaluation at linebacker, and and the numbers that they came back, whatever evaluation they do, they said actually he's he's pretty good here, but he wants to do this other thing, and it yeah. you know from a if you think about it like being like he. If he, it's one of those things. Like, if he had started his career at linebacker, how much farther along would he be? You could, I guess, wonder that. But he also never still would have played. I mean, even those the the, the right. guys last year who were who were juniors behind the seniors, they didn't play because you had this group of seniors that were there. So, it, six and one half dozen the other probably. But it's it's working out for him right now. I just suppose if Henry Ototoho was here, their linebackers would be better, and there wouldn't be opportunity maybe. But and if Maybe. Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope seasons had, but but the bottom line is like this is where they are, and when they put him on the field, he sure looks like he's doing his job, and that yeah. is a thing. And I think, in the great big scheme of it, listen, it's Ohio State football. The standard is super high, the rewards are very high when you succeed, and so no apologies about how difficult it is to do. Right? Lots. Yes. There's lots of disappointment associated with it. But when you can see a guy working it out in real time, it is, it's, it's certainly worth acknowledging. And I don't love the – I mean, listen, a lot of fans like it, so that's fair. I don't love the, like, overdoing the thing that was like, okay, that was like a nice little thing for, like, one week. A guy did something for five plays. It's not really going to affect the football team. So it's fine, but let's not – as we talk about it and write about it, let's not act like it's changing the football team. It's a nice thing for that player. Great. And people want to hear about that. I do think clearly, I mean, clearly like Marcus Williamson played a lot of big time snaps against Maryland. This is not that right. And steel chambers has progressed beyond nice little personal story. Like it seems like he's one of their third down linebackers at the very least, like steel chambers seems like right now he would play real snaps that matter in a playoff semifinal. So credit, however that happened, credit a guy who came as a running back and is now in that position. Cause I think that's real. He might be the fourth linebacker, but he's not like a, he's not a garbage time linebacker, right? He's like right. a guy that they believe in. And that is a huge credit to him. I mean, depending on the matchup, he might have to play a lot of snaps. Yeah. It, it might just, you know, and I, I I was thinking about this today because, again, when we've talked about the linebackers coming into the season, uh, I think it's okay to phrase conversations like that right now, especially because we're in this middle. But when we talked about the linebackers, I know that we even threw out there this idea that, like, well, maybe it could be these guys on early downs, these guys later. Um, I You, of all of us, probably expressed the most skepticism about that, only in that when this has worked the best, it's like you find out who your best 11 guys are, and it's like 11 guys you can't really afford to take off the field. But this other thing seems to be working. Do you think it can be what works for them for the rest of the way? Because it's, it really is kind of a line shift at linebacker. 
Well, I mean, again, it's what they have. Give me Noah Sewell. Give yeah. me Noah Sewell or give me Henry To'o or whatever, right? I mean, not to – give me Ryan Shazier. Give me A.J. Hawk. Give me James Florinitis, right? I mean, that's, that's still the deal. Give me Jerome Baker, right? But if you don't have that, this seems to be working. And probably it is – it's not that it's Cody Simon and Taraja Mitchell and that's it. It's that Cody Simon and Taraja Mitchell first. And then Tommy Eichenberg does this, and then Steel Chambers does that, and then um, Nayoteote does a little bit of this, and like that'll get them there. They won't have the best linebackers in the country, but it'll get them there. And it won't be, I don't know that it, we, we will look at a situation if Ohio State loses and say, man, if they had better linebackers, they would have won that game, right? I mean, I don't, it feels like, nope, they're okay. I don't know if they'll win games for them the way Noah Sewell felt like he won the Oregon game. Right for Oregon, but I don't think they'll lose games for them, and that means that they can let. If the linebackers are making sure that they don't lose games, then that lets Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Trevion Henderson, C.J. Stroud, and this offensive line win games, and that is a formula that can work. Walk the line is where we usually talk about the Ohio State betting line. There is not one this week. There is a couple of interesting ones in the conference. Iowa moves up to number two this week after beating. Penn State. They're undefeated. Number two team in the country. As I said before, Georgia unanimous got all 62 first place votes. Iowa's second. Iowa plays Purdue at home on Saturday. The opening line of that game was 11. It's up to 12.5 as a moment we're recording this. No, we, I mean, like, we want, we need to have like a Penn State Iowa conversation. So I don't know if that's it. This is it now. Let's do it. But Penn State's better than Iowa. <laughs> so. They didn't win. They didn't win. But Penn State's better than Iowa. And the, the, the backup quarterback thing is so interesting. Georgia is winning games with its backup quarterback. Oklahoma just put in its backup quarterback and won because of it. Ohio State had to start its backup quarterback this year. Um, Texas A&M beat Alabama with its backup quarterback. And Penn State couldn't hang on to a lead against Iowa because Penn State's backup quarterback is currently the starter at Kentucky where Kentucky is undefeated. And so on one hand, I know people are killing James Franklin for like, that's your backup quarterback. And it's like, well, actually, our backup quarterback was so good, he thought he should be the starter. And he might have been right because now he's starting at Kentucky and they're undefeated. And the result is... Their third-string quarterback became their backup quarterback, and he is not ready. And the result is Penn State lost. So there are teams out there winning because of their backup quarterbacks. Penn State lost because they didn't have a backup quarterback. But in the portal world, this is the reality, and it extends a little bit to like, oh, why does Ryan Day have four five-star quarterbacks? It's like because he wants to make sure he's got two. And the best way to make sure you have a, a backup quarterback is to start with five. So – like Jack Miller, if Jack Miller is Penn State's backup quarterback, I think Penn State wins that game. Uh, you maybe, yeah. So, like that is so. Listen from a from a from a voter resume. If the playoffs started tomorrow, you of course you've got to vote on what happened on the field. Iowa won the game. I'll credit Iowa. I'd vote him number two. Also, I think Penn State's better. I think if Penn State plays Iowa again. 
and Sean Clifford's healthy the whole time, or the backup's playing, but he's more prepared, I think Penn State might beat Iowa. And I think Ohio State might have a better chance of beating Iowa than they do. Like, I think Penn State might give Ohio State a better game than Iowa will if Sean Clifford's playing for Penn State, even though Sean Clifford came out and threw picks in like the first two picks in the first three series. But it was such a weird game, Nathan. It was almost disappointing to me in that now all credit to Iowa for the game winning touchdown, like throwback to a wide open dude, a defense bust by Penn State. But that's a great play design by Brian Ferentz, and they get the guy. And Spencer Petrus makes the throw. And again, all credit to them. They, they had to still make plays to get over the top. I was a little bit disappointed that it kind of came out that way, that it looked like you had an answer to the question. And then the answer changed because the starting quarterback for that team got hurt. And it leaves me kind of wanting, except we're going to figure it out. Because I was going to be in Indy, and Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan are going to figure it out. And Iowa's going to have to beat somebody really good to get to the playoff because the East winner is going to be really good. So Iowa does not, is not going to backdoor the playoff. If they get there, they're going to have earned it in the Big Ten championship game. And either Penn State's going to earn another shot at them or Ohio State or Michigan's going to earn that shot, and that's going to be a great game. But I do feel a little weird about trying to think about the result of that game right now. No, I think that's fair. I, I also, last week when we were doing the picks, I, I first said 24-23 Iowa, and then I switched and went 24-23 Penn State, and then it, I thought it was going to end up going to overtime 23-23, which I thought was <laughs> yeah. sort of the perfect outcome for that game. Um, let's go right into ballot boxing then, because you were already kind of alluding to this. Because this was a tough week. It, we've really come to this this juncture where it's, how you would vote in a power ranking is probably very different than how you would vote in the poll. Do you feel the same way? Like if you had to fill out a poll this week, would you be, would it be not necessarily the same order of if someone just asked you to rank, who do you think is the best 10 teams? Yeah. Cause I, and I just, you can't try to be smarter than the results. I just don't, it's like, then why do we keep score? Yep. Because if we want it to be gymnastics or ice skating and who looks the best, then we can just do that play and then after you play we won't keep score but we'll subjectively evaluate you on how we think you looked but that's not what we do so then you have to go by the scoreboard but it does make it tough and i do think the toughest one to me might be do you give and i would be curious to see so alabama or no excuse me oklahoma is fourth right oklahoma's fourth yes so yes. the ap overall poll was that a good win for Oklahoma or a bad win for Oklahoma? <laughs> exactly. Yes. The answer is yes. It's like, congratulations on benching your starting quarterback to go to your five-star freshman who saved you, but why did you need to be saved? And then, by the way, how does Texas give up a 33-yard touchdown run with 10 seconds left? Like, do they not play any defense there? How does Sark blow that? But holy moly – Caleb Williams and Marvin Mims and Kennedy Brooks and everybody on that team, except Spencer Rattler, once Rattler went out, hitched up their britches and got to work and pulled a sure loss in a rivalry game out of the fire against a team that certainly has some talent. So I, like, I, don't, I think it's possible 
that like Oklahoma turned the corner in that game. And now if they play Caleb Williams, it might be like, look out for Oklahoma. But they should have lost. I've been feeling that way about Oklahoma actually for the last couple weeks, that every week I would vote them, and I still had them in my top six, seven, whatever it was, and people would be like, well, they just barely beat Kansas State. Well, they just barely beat whatever. I'm like, I know, but they won. Like, (laughs) there's more talent here than is showing in the results, I think. That's a dangerous thing to, to, to vote on, obviously. We've seen that go awry with your, your aforementioned Iowa State and, and, and other teams. But at some point, like, teams are going to – can squeak by for a while and then figure it out. It'd be like if Ohio State – like, imagine if Ohio State were 6-0 and right now instead of 5-1 with that Oregon loss. They'd be the number two team in the country probably. Right, right. Right. So uh, that's the other thing to kind of remember here is that, you know, Ohio State just ended up on the wrong end of trying to squeak by somebody good. Uh, they were trying to squeak by somebody better than some of those teams that Oklahoma did. But I think you're right that it's it, they're an interesting team to me to, as to like what's going to happen in the long run. So I had Georgia one, Iowa two, Cincinnati three, Oklahoma four. I think that's hard to dispute right now. All undefeated. And then, like, the other undefeated teams that you're talking about are, like, Michigan, Michigan State, Kentucky, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, and that's just, like, a different level. So, like, it feels like those four undefeated teams are the top four, and what case would you make for putting a one-loss team ahead of any of them? So, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, Then I had – then the the controversy, uh, as it was with our texters – a lot of weeks, I get a few people who send something back to me. You're like, "Hey, I don't, I don't really agree with that." There was some vitriol this week. Um, I, it's the where, where do you put Ohio State then at that point? And I have, I had Penn State fifth, so not really much movement at all. They went on the road and lost by three with, with when their starting quarterback got hurt to the team that's now number two. I dropped Alabama to sixth. They were my number two team before. I dropped uh, Oregon. Um, I can't remember actually where I had them last week. They may have actually stayed the same. I think I, I had Oregon seven and Ohio State eight, and I think maybe they didn't move at all. Oregon didn't play last week. So I still have Ohio State behind Oregon, and I still have those two other one-loss teams ahead of them. And I have Ohio State ahead of Michigan and Kentucky. who They're, they're actually the next two, I think. I kind of see a, a, a difference between Michigan and Kentucky and then Oklahoma State, Michigan State. There's like teams that are like – undefeated and winning games a certain way. And then there's teams that are undefeated. And there's kind of a split between those four to me. I mean, the idea again, that, and it's just the same argument every week, but the idea that Ohio state is three spots ahead of Oregon in the AP poll and four spots ahead of Oregon in the coaches poll. And like, why? Cause they beat Rutgers, Maryland, Tulsa and Akron. I mean, honestly, like, I the more I think about it, they, why? honestly, they really should probably you can make a strong argument that they should be 10th on my ballot behind Michigan and Kentucky because Michigan and Kentucky have actually beaten good teams. Kentucky yeah. more so than Michigan, but like, you know, even like Penn state's beat Auburn, you know, Alabama beat Florida and Ole Miss, Oregon beat Ohio state at Ohio state. Like I, to me, like there's still a thing like the, the smell test is going to, even though we're, we're having this discussion in the post game about whether Ohio State might be the third best team in the country, that's going to sort itself out in the long run. But this snapshot this week, what have they proven? Who have they beaten that is better than the teams ahead of them have beaten? That was the, the thing that nobody had a really good answer for. And the thing that is always true in the end is if you 
if you go by the results, it'll all work out. It will all work out. But people want to jump ahead of the results because they want to be smarter or they want to pretend they're setting a Vegas line. And listen, Kentucky's undefeated, but Kentucky's got to play Georgia this week, right? So listen, there's one or two things that's going to happen when Kentucky plays Georgia. Either Kentucky's going to beat Georgia and people are going to be like, I think Kentucky should be number one or in the top three and nobody's going to dispute it because they're undefeated and they beat Georgia or they're going to lose to Georgia and they're going to drop down. But why not have undefeated SEC team Kentucky ranked decently high right now based on the record? Why do we have to, you know what? Like Michigan, Michigan's got to play Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan State, but they've taken care of business and they have better wins than Ohio State does. So why shouldn't Michigan be ahead of Ohio State now? And guess what? They're going to play. That's going to work out. And then once they play, what if Ohio State beats Michigan, but people still rank Michigan higher because they think Michigan looks better? Oh, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Well, you're doing it to Ohio State and Oregon right now. What's the difference? Go by the results. And it'll work out in the end. It'll feel slower. It feels like you might feel uncool. My best attribute, both as an AP voter when I did it, as a podcast host, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, and as a member of society, is that I don't worry about, nor do I know how to be cool. So I just try to go by what's happening. Because I don't know, my jeans aren't the right length or the right size. My shirts aren't right. My haircut's not cool. I don't eat cool food. I don't listen to cool music. I don't hang out with cool people. But I just do what I do. And it all works out in the end. So quit trying to be cool, AP voters. Ohio State should not be three or four spots ahead of Oregon. Because if Oregon is as bad as you think they are by what your vote is right now, then they're going to lose again. And then once they have two losses, then you can drop them. But like right now, there's not, there's not any, there's no reason to it other than you think your eyeballs, football knowledge, scoreboard watching, cool factor is more important than who won on the field. Well, also, if Oregon is that bad, it makes the loss that Ohio State took to them at home look even worse. So it, it, you, you start arguing against yourself at some point. Um, I would also say that if you, if you really think Ohio State, if you're the person arguing that Ohio State should be ahead of Oregon in a poll that's based on quality of wins and losses so far, then just switch the names and tell me, make the same argument, that if the names are switched, that Oregon should be ahead of Ohio State. Right. And why is Penn State lost on the road to the number two team in the country after its starting quarterback got hurt? Ohio State lost at home to Oregon, which people think stinks because this Oregon, despite only having one loss, is ninth. Why is Penn State behind Ohio State? Like, Ohio State's getting the benefit of every doubt. They're getting the benefit of the doubt to be ahead of Oregon, but yet Penn State has a better loss and better wins than Ohio State, and Penn State's also behind Ohio State. So what is it? Is it just that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are awesome? They are awesome. And guess what? If you go by the results, it'll all work out. And because we all get to the same spot in the end, but I think you're disingenuous to the sport. I don't think you do anybody any favors. And then you end up having to like over-adjust your ranking when the 
thing that your ballot is predicting is going to happen doesn't happen because it's like ah, i think oregon's going to stink they're going to it's like no guess what oregon ran the table oh crap guess i better move them back ahead of ohio state now or whatever right i mean i just i don't yeah. i just think voters are dumb which i say all the time yep. me included yep i think you're probably right we're going to take a break there where you're going to come back and wrap up monday madness here on buckeye talk Margin call. This is where we buy or sell something in college football. Uh, you mentioned Caleb Williams from Oklahoma. By the way, I, I, when I got back and was watching the highlights of that game, I didn't really know what had happened during a lot of that game because it was going on at the same time as the game that we were covering. And I'm, I'm watching the highlights here at home, and I see the Rattler get pulled out. I'm like, oh, wow. And then, which I, which I had heard had happened, but it's kind of interesting seeing it in not real time, secondary real time. And then like the first highlight they show of this kid is him just like on the run, one footed, launching a ball like 50 yards for a touchdown. I was like, oh, all right, this guy's something. So I I'm buying him and I'm selling um, the, I'm selling Lincoln Riley and this, the, the media policy of this guy goes out and has this amazing game um, and either because he's a freshman or because you just want the control, he doesn't get to talk to the media. Oh, for real? He didn't talk to the media? That's that's my impression. Wow. Did Spencer Rattler talk to the media? I know he did sent he a tweet. Did, he did? Did he say congratulations, Caleb Williams? Or did he did he just send puke emojis like Tyler Shoemaker after a bad push? Uh, he said, uh, congratulations to my teammates, uh, it was a great team win, something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. He did not follow it up with <laughs> blank Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he is. Uh, I kept saying like uh, on the playoff show, like he was as disinterested as any quarterback I'd ever seen in my life. And people, someone was like, did you ever watch Jake Cutler? And I was like, all right, point taken. I'm sure Nathan Barrett is aware but he's just, he's Zane, man. He's Zane in one direction. It just looks like it's like you're talented, but like, it looked like he didn't want to be there. But guess what? In, in football, you can't go solo, man. You can't unless you want to be one of those dude-perfect guys and just stand on the upper deck of places and throw balls in trash cans instead of being a football player. So of all the things, right, that, that we thought DJ Uyunglele, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud were new starting quarterbacks for three of the four playoff powerhouses in college football – and the only one that had a returning quarterback was Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler. And that's the guy who lost his job. The other three young guys. And we kept the, I mean, the number of times on this podcast, we used Spencer Rattler as a life lesson of like, Hey, he had a couple rough games to start the year last year as a first time starter for Oklahoma. But look, look at the way he progressed. And we just like took Spencer Rattler for granted. And he just, like, he's not it. I don't know what they're going to do, but how can you go back to Spencer Rattler? Like, it's over there, isn't it? How can you go back to Spencer Rattler? You can't. Yeah, I don't know. Especially, it's not like the other guy came in and was just, eh. I mean, the other guy came in and got the job done. Yeah. In, Saved like, a spectacular fashion. And he's a five-star. Like, it's, I mean, he's he's going to be your starting quarterback. He's just maybe going to be at half a year early. But we thought Spencer Rattler was, like, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and instead he might be Kelly Bryant. And it's like, all right, man, good luck. I would say just put a pin in this. It's going to be a conversation that comes up next spring. It's going to be a conversation that may come up again next fall at Ohio State. 
Yeah, but it's I mean, it's Spencer Rattler like just let it go. Like he it wasn't like Caleb True. Williams took it from him. Spencer Rattler handed it over. So CJ Stroud is looks like he's playing in a way that he's not gonna hand anything over anytime soon with with how mature and poised and confident he looks on the field. But again, Spencer Rattler looked that way last year. So but this is what happens when you have five star options sitting on the bench who are just young. Like there's nothing wrong with them. It's just they're young. But if you give them a shot, you never know what's going to happen. By the way, I did confirm through other reporting that Williams was not available to any reporters. I just feel like I, I was sort of hoping that the NIL world would change that for the better, that we might get more access to players because you're costing them that opportunity. Um, I, I also think, though, at some point, like these teams, if I wanted to call and talk, because I've done this before, covering college athletics as long as I have. Like you want to call and just talk to like a professor or another employee at a university, they will usually refer you through university communications because they are employees of the university and that's what they're required to do. But these are not right. employees, right? But they better not be employees. So the NCAA sure is, is spends a lot of money making sure they're not deemed that. It's just it's it's one of the many hypocritical stances that uh, the men in power in college football take and. Uh, I'm, I'm salty about it being somebody who would benefit most from having more access to those guys. And it's not like you're asking to talk to the guy who blew the game and you want to like grill him. You're t- you want to talk to the guy who like won the biggest game of the season for your team. Just, just right. ridiculous. Uh, are you buying or selling anything this week? So I, I am buying um, a duo that I have again, talked about a lot on the playoff show. Uh, Devin A. Chain and Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M are just an unbelievable backfield combo. And I had been sort of waiting for Texas A&M to lean on them even more. And they're just, they're just, they're the best combo, right? That I'm not saying that individually either of them are better than B. John Robinson or Trevion Henderson, but they ran it and the numbers aren't, they ran it 24 times combined for 80 yards against Texas and they caught it seven times for 88 yards. So it's like 168 total yards plus a chain ran a kickoff back for a touchdown that like saved their bacon after Alabama had uh, blocked a punt for a touchdown. But it's just, they're just a great, I just, I love a chain. He's just a, he's a super fast track guy and he's just, and it, but it boggled my mind, like why Texas A&M couldn't like get it together before. So like, I'm, I'm buying those guys and like on the playoff show, again, I sort of tried to say like, are we sure that Texas A&M might not have a chance to give Bama a game? Cause they have a lot of individual talent at certain pieces at, you know, at certain places, right? They have the running backs they have a great tight end, some, a couple good offensive linemen, some great, you know, great individual defensive players. And then they, and then it happened. But then as I'm like selling, like, how did they lose to Mississippi State? Because the hard thing about this now is, if Texas A&M, which lost to Arkansas, had not that come back and lost to Mississippi State, which is like losing to Rutgers in the SEC, they'd be in like dr- the driver's position for a playoff spot right now. Because, but because they'd have one loss in the SEC, just like Bama, they'd have the head-to-head win over Bama. But instead, they already have two losses, and so they beat Bama. Cool, but it's like, well, Bama has to lose again. You know, now, but you're too lost. You're not going to get in. So they blew it. Like Jimbo blew it. And it's because his starting quarterback got hurt. But again, it's like 
the sort of the backup quarterback who made like was making like his fourth start, like played lights out in this game, but it took him a while to get this way. They had like beaten Colorado like 10 to seven because he was all over the place. And so I, I just, I almost want to do a story about it or do something of like, like in the modern day, I'm not so sure backup quarterback in college football right now. Isn't like your third most important position. Like it is, it is the number of guys that have had to play this year and the difference between can the guy manage your offense or does he kill you is, I mean, it, it's seasons are on the line and, but it's so much harder to keep a backup quarterback happy because it's either a rising five-star guy like Caleb Williams, who's just happy to be a backup because he's waiting his turn. It's a guy like Zach Calzada at Texas A&M who was in the competition and lost the competition in the preseason to Haynes King and then didn't leave immediately and stuck around. Or it's like a guy who's happy to be a backup, like Stetson Bennett, right, who just at Georgia wants to be a bulldog. They brought in a transfer over top of him, but he didn't boogie because it's like he knows the deal. And you've got to have one of those three, the guy who loses the job, who stays, the the elite young guy who is just not his time yet, so he's happy to be the backup, or a Kenny Guyton type. And you have got to lock one of those down. If you're trying to win a national championship, you cannot live without one of those guys. And that's where James Franklin and this Penn State staff, even though Will Levis leaving to go to Kentucky left him in the lurch a little bit, it was a failure by them to not get it done. But you know what? If Justin Fields had gotten hurt in 2019, we know like Ryan Day did the best he could bringing in Gunnar Hoke, but I don't know what Gunnar Hoke would have looked like. And if he had looked like the Penn State backup quarterback looked against Iowa, we would have been like, well, Ryan Day just blew a playoff team chance because he didn't have a backup quarterback who was ready to step in and do it. But would that have been his fault? Is it circumstance? Man, Nathan, it is. The portal is great. Player movement and power, I get it. But, man, like when you can't plan, I don't feel bad for anybody, but, like, it is a reality that is affecting games. And the fact that Will Levis was able to leave and play right away at Kentucky is great for him, and he earned the starting job there. But it – if, Penn, if he had not left, Penn State would be the number two team in the country right now. And I'm not saying that's against Will Levis, but that's the reality of modern college football. And if Zach Calzada had left Texas A&M in August, the minute Haynes King was named the starter, Texas A&M would not have beaten Alabama, right? So, I mean, it's just – I don't know. I don't want to overdo it, but it is a fascinating – thing that programs have to prepare for to have a number two quarterback that you believe in who's going to stick around a little bit well and and the the portal doesn't fix exactly what you're talking about because if you have to go to the portal to get your number one it's because you don't think you had a number one on your team you know what i mean so like the you're not going to go to the portal and get two guys in the same year to come in and be your quarterback you're going to go in and get one, but your, your backup is still going to always be who was just left over that made you want to go to the portal in the first place. So, yeah, I, I think it is precarious. Like, it, Unless you happen to be recruiting somebody really strong and then also bringing a portal guy in over top of them in the same year, that, that seems unlikely. But the idea, like, I don't know, and I don't know about the Penn State situation, but like that Levis left, and I don't think they got a portal guy. I don't want to speak out of turn. 
right? But that, that whatever they did, their next plan wasn't good enough. I mean, it's just, I mean, Notre Dame's played three quarterbacks, right? Oregon is thinking about, should we go away from our transfer guy, Anthony Brown, and go to a freshman quarterback? Like it is, there is such uncertainty at the quarterback position that if you're going to be great, and it's the stuff Ohio State's been saying since 2014, but like if you're going to be great, you really need two guys you can believe in, and Penn State found out what happens when you only have one. I just thought of this. It's it's almost a tangential thing, but like, like what if Ohio State season? Now this is a great example because you had Kyle McCord, who I think is a capable backup. But if Ohio State season had gone Akron, Tulsa, Oregon, and then Minnesota, so it was that fourth game was Minnesota instead of Akron, and that's the game where you needed to sit CJ Stroud down because he was not healthy enough to play. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like Ohio State even this season got a little bit lucky in the way that things lined up so that they could use common cord as the starter against Akron, a game where they probably could have just come out and run the ball 85 times and, right. and found a way to, to win the game somehow. And it's uh, for Penn state. It just, it happens at the worst possible time. Yeah. So I don't know what the deal is with Clifford, but um, rarely have you seen, I think, well, no, I mean, it happens. Remember the national championship game with Texas? right against Alabama where was a Colt McCoy got hurt like right away and they had to put a backup in or whatever. I mean, it's like, it happens. Backup quarterbacks are important. Kenny Guyton won games for Ohio state, but it's just like, it's why I love Kenny Guyton's. And it's why I'm always like recruit a Kenny Guyton. Stetson. I mean, as, as, as much mileage I've gotten out of my Stetson Barnett impersonation on this podcast, like he's exactly what a big time program wants. Because JT Daniels got hurt. This is the guy whose job, who lost the job to JT Daniels. Because they were like, well, we don't want you. And he was like, uh, he was like, okay, I'll stay. He's like Marcus Williamson, but at quarterback. And so as much credit as we're giving Marcus Williamson, we've got to give that to Stetson Bennett because Georgia's winning games with him right now. Georgia just won like a top 25 game. They beat Auburn with him. I'm trying so, to think of one of the game, some of the game I was watching this weekend. It, some of the game I was watching this weekend where somebody, the, the quarterback got banged up at the end of a play, and they're like, uh, now now the backup is a walk-on. I'm trying to think of what game it was now. No, but it was the Texas A&M game. No, maybe it because was Because Calzada yeah. is really the number two because Haynes King got right, hurt. Right, so Calzada's right. playing, but they literally, like their other quarterback, they converted the tight end, and then the other guy's a walk-on. So the walk-on, when Calzada got his legs chopped out from under him, the walk-on was getting warm quick. Yeah, yeah. And then Calzada was somehow okay. Yeah. So if, if starting quarterback is the number one position, I assume it would go number one quarterback, edge rusher, number two quarterback. Is that the, the three most important positions? I mean, like, I, man, it depends. Maybe it's number four because maybe it's offensive playmaker, whether it's a receiver or a tight end yeah. or a running back. Like, one dude – who can make your offense explosive, but then maybe back up quarterback. I'm telling you, man. I mean, go, it's amazing. It is amazing how many backup quarterbacks in the top 25 have played this year. Either because a guy, I mean, what if, what if, right? Oklahoma was like, it was a big deal when Oklahoma got Caleb Williams, right? And again, it's a quarterback factory. I get it. But like, what if they didn't get him? What if he had gone somewhere else? And it's like, oh, this was the year that Oklahoma got the guy who's like 218th in the class not a guy who's top 20. And that's the guy. Then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to even pull Spencer Rattler, right? I don't, I don't, it's just, man, it's important. 
yeah, for Ohio State fans, as you if you get a chance to watch Oklahoma the rest of the year, be thankful he's at Oklahoma because it's it just uh, Caleb Williams is from Washington D.C. He could pretty easily be at Maryland for the next three years. I think you'll be pretty happy that he's uh, over on the other part of the country. Um, our last category is usually who's number two. We pick who the second best team in the Big Ten is, and that's been a, a fun category to add this year because it's really fluctuated over the course of the year. And I would say as recently as last week, I don't know if were either of us saying it was Ohio State. I think we were saying it was Ohio State, right? Because didn't we think – well, oh, we thought Ohio State was third. Is that what you were saying? We I think we were Penn saying it was, yeah, still, still Iowa-Penn State in some order for one and two, and then Ohio State third. But I think Ohio State, I might have come all the way around. They might just be the best team in the Big Ten again. So Again, would you – which is different than where you correct. would rank them. Correct, which I think is – even somebody said it to us on Twitter, right? Somebody said, like, hey, I listened to your guys' post game, and then I looked at his poll, and that doesn't really make sense. I'm like, well, no, because it's, it's two different things you're talking about. Right. No, and, I, and that's – so, like, power rating, I do, I do think I – I have to watch more of the Iowa-Penn State game. I haven't watched the whole thing through. But they had a big defensive breakdown, like, right when they couldn't afford it, obviously. And – Clifford threw two key picks, but they also, you know, did enough offensively to take a 14 to three lead. Right. So um, I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead. I don't want to get too far ahead. I'm almost counting that in my head as a Penn state win. It's on the road against a really good defense and they jumped out way ahead. So if you just like, let's stop the game when Sean Clifford got hurt, if Sean Clifford's back. So then Sean Clifford's playing against Ohio state. And then we're going to evaluate what we think of Penn State. Man, they played Iowa on the road. How'd they do? All right, well, let's cut the – let's end the movie when Sean Clifford gets hurt because we don't want to see what happens to old Yeller, right? We end the movie before the, the sad thing happens. <laughs> they didn't put him down. No, I know. Yeah. He's just, he just went to the medical tent. So, like, where – then how do you think of Penn State? If you end it – if you turn the game off when Sean Clifford gets hurt, who would you think the best team in the Big Ten is? Probably Penn State, right? And I and Ohio State's too. And it's uh, like, oh, Iowa. Iowa's pretty yeah. good, but well, now they faced a pretty decent offense, and they and then against a good Penn State defense, they couldn't move the ball. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's unfair to do that, but it's one way to look at it. I didn't make this list, but I, I'd be interested if you went and made a list of through the first half of the season. What are the best wins in the Big Ten, and you're ranking them? like one through however many, like how far down the list would you have to get before you got to an Ohio state win? Oh, right. Cause like Pretty, even Penn state, Penn yeah. state going on the road and winning at Wisconsin to open the season is in some ways more impressive, at least in terms of what you had to do. You know what I mean? Like that's more impressive to me still than like crushing Maryland. Right. It's, it's no worse than like equal. Cause I know Minnesota or I know Wisconsin can't, it has no offense right now. They have a really good defense, though. But I do think – but also, if you, if you put um, – if you took individual games and took 10 cuts from each game, five on offense and five on defense, and you presented them and you said, all right, based on this game, which is the, which is the game that was played in the Big Ten this year that would make you say, I don't want to play those guys? Yeah. And that – might be Ohio State, Maryland. Yes, I think you're probably right. 
Now, the quality of Maryland is not as good as Penn State's win over Auburn or Iowa's win over Iowa State or whatever, right? But put those clips up and it's like, oh, they got some pass rush. Oh, shoot. Oh, Denzel Burke broke on that ball. Mm, That was a nice tackle by the linebacker. And then you start putting on the offensive stuff and it's like, I don't want to play that. So, And and again, like it's not like – Iowa didn't just go to Maryland last week and do the same thing to them that Ohio State did. True. In in a different way. In a different way. It was more defensive led, but still, like they they flattened them the same. So um yeah, I think it's it's setting up for a fun second half. Uh um looking forward to kind of hanging back for this week. I think this is a good week for like reassess some things, recalibrate some things, and then um get ready for Ohio State and Indiana, which we thought was going to be one of the games of the year and is now just one of the games of this year. And I will be attending a because I just keep it real with the people. I didn't play football in college, but I went to a college, and my twenty fifth college reunion got wiped out last year by COVID. So it's now twenty six years from my graduate since I graduated from college. But I'm going to my reunion this weekend because I want to see my friends. But I'm going to the football game also because oh. it's just a social thing to do. Um, but I didn't play football there. So like, you don't, don't have to say that multiple times. You really didn't I need just, to say it once. <laughs> I don't do think you think was making that? Assumption. Do you think I could be a backup free safety at a mid-tier big 10 teams six in college? Let's say six, one, one ninety backup walk on special teamer. Nose for the ball. I mean, walk on, maybe. You're no, there I to could. boost the GPA. I, could. I definitely could. No, I definitely could. That was the first, That was the closest I've ever come to being a football player. The four seconds there, why I asked the question. So I went to Northwestern. I'll be at. I don't even know who Northwestern is playing. I think it might be Rutgers, but I'm not sure. But I'll be at that game just as part of my college football reunion. Um, my not my college football. My college reunion for just being like a regular college student. You know, playing video games. Right. I always say I went to uh, this is my college. This is me in college. I have Greek literature after lunch and, you know, lunch. But, you know, come on, eat lunch. You can't go out in the world right away. You got to get rid of lunch. So I just would not go to Greek literature class. And then that was the one time I like, have you ever done it where you show up? They hand you a test and you're like, literally like, it's not that I don't know the answers. It's like, I literally don't even know the words in the questions. And then there was one time when I was in a class and I was reading the student newspaper in a class. And the professor said, if you want to read the newspaper, leave. And I got out of my seat and then I sat back down. Cause like I was a journalism major. It's like, I'd much rather read the newspaper than listen yeah. to this economics lecture. But I wasn't back then. That's, that was, that was old. That was young Doug. That was not this Doug. Now I would have gotten up and like probably dropped an F-bomb on my way out. So that's me in college. Now I had a uh, Kim 100. The instructor would Xerox his notes. So I would go in. It was a Tuesday, Thursday class. So I would go in on Thursday before class and pick up the notes for Tuesday and Thursday and leave. And that was how I took Kim 100. I got like, I probably got a B or maybe even a C, but like, whatever. This is, this is not on your diploma. No, 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 it's a piece of paper. They don't, they don't have the C's on there or the A's for all you smarties. Yeah. 
my wife and I were in this, we had like this leadership class. I don't even know what a leadership class in college is about. So my wife and I were in this leadership class before we were married, but we were dating. And like in the, I would like tell her afterward, like, ah, these people in this leadership class, I have a meeting out of the palm of my hand. These idiots, they don't know anything. I tell them what to do. I run that leadership class. And like we went into the next leadership class and she's told everybody in the class, everything <laughs> I said about them and completely sabotaged me. You usurped you. And then we got married anyway. And then that's the continues. That's a synopsis of our relationship to this day. It's like, here's leadership. This is how you get the upper hand. You like Seriously. get information from somebody and then you use it to take their knees out from under them. That's unbelievable. Great. Unbelievable. But wow. Uh, that's true leadership. But we met in college. It makes the reunions easy because we went to college together. and We're the same year. So none of that awkward stuff. It's like we all know the same people. I, I have no idea. I have never been to a high school reunion or a college reunion. And to my knowledge, there's never been either of those things. My college was U of I Chicago, which is kind of a commuter school. Like it's, it's very urban and it's very, mm. um, I, I didn't live on campus. It doesn't have a big campus scene. So it doesn't feel like the kind of a very reunion-y yeah. kind of campus. Whereas I feel like Evanston, Northwestern, it kind of lends itself to that. Oh, there it's like, like yeah. sub Ivy kind of, you know what I mean? Like it's a boondoggle. They're going to take all my money. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so I've never experienced in, in my high school, I went to a super tiny high school out in the middle of a bean field. So, um, as far as I know, they haven't had your, or haven't been invited back. It could be either is plausible. You know why my high school hasn't had a reunion. The year of my high school hasn't had a reunion in a while. Cause I'm supposed to plan it. Ah, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, anybody <laughs> listening in central you, Pennsylvania. You probably sent out an email that had the wrong link in it. Oh, my God. <laughs> would you like to come to a reunion? Rank the things you would like us to do. Uh, this is a multiple choice. <laughs> and then I just bailed, and that was it. And then I said, forget it. I'm just going to go do podcasts. No more reunions. Uh, we are changing the podcast schedule up a little bit this week. Stephen and I are going to have, you're listening to this Monday morning, Stephen and I are going to have a recruiting podcast for Tuesday. Help me out after that. Uh, Tuesday for Wednesday, it'll be me and Stephen again. It'll be off of what we were supposed to get uh, Ryan Day and some yep. coaches and maybe some players on Tuesday. So it'll be our usual Tuesday for Wednesday recap of that. And then you can take it from here, what happens Thursday, Friday. Big Thursday podcast at the moment is planned to be we each like draft a team. I think we'll do like we each draft five players on offense and then we each draft five players on defense and just try to make the best little group of guys. But it will give you, the listeners, an indication of like who we think the best players on this team are right now, which we did something like it in the preseason. And I think we said we'll do it again later. And it's just a good indication because, you know, Ronnie Hickman's going to go a lot higher in the defensive draft than he would have gone in the preseason. And Jackson Smith Najigba might go a lot higher. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think Luke Whippler certainly will go a lot higher than he would have been. And um, I think it'll give a good indication of sort of who we think the top 15 guys are on each side of the ball. And then Friday, we'll do overall Mount Buckmore. The four people overall that you would put on a mountain to represent Ohio State football. And I will tell you this, Nathan, I think I will send a text question about this. And I am not even joking. Should Brutus Buckeye be one of the nominees? 
should it be the modern Brutus or the old Brutus? Because both of them were at the game the other yeah. day. Old Brutus is just a milk dud with legs. Right. They were right. I like the idea more that the nut is a head rather than the whole body. But honestly, like he is so definitive and representative and, and he represents the whole school, but really he's associated with the football team. And it's like, well, we put up this guy and this guy and this guy, and then we weren't sure who to make fourth. So we put Brutus up there, but should that be an option? Should a mascot be an option or does it not count? Cause he's not a human. Well, but is he? Cause see this came up. We were talking about this before the game. Like when it's a, when it's a, buckeye with legs you're like okay but now when it's just a buckeye head like is this some kind of weird uh island of dr moreau thing that happened that like resulted in this walking talking buckeye person well nathan i don't want to have to explain this to you i thought you would have learned this by now but when a daddy human (laughs) loves a mommy nut and they want to show each other how they much they love each other that's how you get a brutus buckeye see we didn't talk about these things out in the bean field this was this was a verboten conversations at the. High I thought that's conference. all you had time. That's all you talked about out in the bean field. So uh, I we probably won't do it unless. But I'll put it to a vote. Well, I'll see if people feel strongly. I think it's more fun to you know put humans on it, but we'll see. So I think, but I think we'll we'll wrap up Mount Buckmore, which we have been uh, doing for a couple months, and uh, and and put that to, to bed, and then come up with some other thing to do as a podcast regular. Sounds good. We'll have a safe trip back from Chicago whenever that happens. And the rest of you, join us here again tomorrow. For Doug Lee Maurice, I'm Nathan Barrett. That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>